Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you are visiting with us this morning, uh, you honor us with your presence. It's an encouragement to us, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We hope that you'll come back and be with us uh, many times, and we hope that we can worship and serve God together. We are thankful to have Micah uh, with us and our family here at Mount Juliet. Wonderful young man, a great encouragement to many of us already in the short time that he has been visiting with us. And also, we're thankful that Ben Northern was baptized this past Tuesday evening. That was a great evening of encouragement. And uh, Ben is here to my extreme left, and we are thankful for him. We're thankful for the Northern family. And uh, we rejoice to see the things that God is doing in this place and what we can do in service to God. You know, we're thinking today about a command that is the second greatest commandment according to Jesus Himself. It's not always easy to know how to apply that to our lives. Oftentimes people will ask things of us that really that's not a fulfillment of the second greatest command, but yet it's what they're asking of us. I'm reminded of the old story of the fellow and his wife. They just went to bed at night, and, and as they just dozed off, here came a rap on the door. And so he startled himself out of bed there, and he made his way to, to the back door to find a man that was heavily intoxicated. The man said, Mister, can you give me a push? He said, Listen, you shouldn't even be on the road. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Get out of here and let us sleep. He slammed the door, and he went back to bed. His wife said, what was that? said, some guy needed help. I guess his car has broke down or something. She said, you didn't offer to help? I said, no. Well, why didn't you offer help? Well, he reeked of alcohol. I, it's nighttime. I don't know. I just, I want to go to bed. I said, do you remember that time that we were broke down on the way late at night to get our children at the babysitters? And you remember we went to the door? And remember that fine gentleman came out and he helped us so much and got us back on our way? Don't you think that's what God would want you to do? Corrected, he gets himself out of the bed and he opens the back door and he cries out into the darkness. Hey, sir, sir, you still there? And he hears an answer. Yes. Says, you still need a push? Yes. Where are you? On your back porch swing. <laughs> really important question. Is fulfilling the second command just a thing that we do from time to time? Or is fulfilling the second greatest command a part of our life? To get to the very heart of who we are. I want you to think for a moment about something that it doesn't matter at all when it comes to our spirituality, but I really think this would help us think. And so if you'll indulge me with this illustration just for another minute and we'll go into this text. If I say the words duct tape to you, what comes to your mind? Duct tape. For some of the younger generation, immediately they picture in their minds caps or purses or wallets that are made out of duct tape. Some now even wear dresses and suits that are made of duct tape. Any of you that own a shop or have a garage, you immediately think of all the things that you can hold together and you can mend for a short while, or even for an extended period of time with duct tape. Some have said it's the most versatile tool in anyone's workshop. What was the original purpose of duct tape? Isn't it something how quickly we can forget something's original purpose? 
Adhesive tape was invented in the 1920s. In the 1942, in an effort to serve our country in World War II, Johnson & Johnson came up with a tape that could seal off the ammunition boxes to keep the condensation or moisture out of the box. After the war was over, men that served in that war realized that it also would hold guns together. It'd hold jeeps together. It'd hold tents together. It'd hold almost anything together. The housing boom brought on another need that someone figured out that duct tape could serve that purpose. That changed the color from army green to silver and put it in the duct works of the home to hold in the air. Now since then, we use it for many things in many colors. And it's all right. But isn't it interesting that most have forgotten its original purpose? I'm afraid that sometime, even to go out and to do good, we do a lot of good here and there. Those of us that are members of this congregation are very serious about the work in this congregation because it's the Lord's work. We have filled out SOS booklets, Serving Our Saviors, and we've looked at 40-plus ministries. Ministries that serve each other, and ministries that serve the community, and ministries that serve the world for the glory of God. But I really need to stop and ask myself, am I a part of these ministries just because I want to do something good here, because I want to make myself feel good over here, because I want to relieve a conscience over here that, that just feels like I need to do something good? Or do I realize that there's something much deeper than just doing something good? You see, the Lord wanted us to see something very clearly about fulfilling the second greatest commandment. We learn a lot about the second greatest commandment as we enter into the New Testament. We learn about, a lot about love in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. But friends, you and I ought to say a prayer of thanksgiving today for the text of 1 John, the 3rd and 4th chapter. Because it is in these two chapters that we learn the very heart of the second greatest commandment. That we learn that it's much more than, a, than an action, but that it's a life. And it's much more than just a life, but it's the very heart of life. To love God and to reflect God's love to a world about us. Look with me, if you will, to 1 John, the third chapter. We're really working out of a text this morning that is two chapters long, and a part of that text has been capably read for us just a few minutes ago. Let's look in 1 John, the third chapter. Notice verse 1 as we read. Look for the word manner of love. Look for that word manner. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. A book and a line of thinking that's been very popular for the last few years has been the love languages. What manner of love? What, how do you express your love? How do the people that you live with, how do they want their love expressed to them? And if you can identify with the proper love language, you can express the proper love to others. It's an interesting approach to love. But here is something much more interesting. And that is where God says, I want to tell you about the manner of love that I want you to have for me. And it's the manner of love that when you express this love to others, you're going to be identified as the children of God. What is it that separates the world from God and His children? Let's skip over now to the fourth chapter and look at verse 11. 1 John, the fourth chapter and verse 11. 
Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You see why we're putting these two verses together? First verse, God says, I want you to see the manner of love that I have bestowed. In other words, God is saying, I have given you a kind of love. And then we read on. This same, don't let the chapter break fool you there. The third and the fourth chapter, ignore the chapter break. It's one long reading about the beautiful love that God has had for us and that we ought to have for others. In other words, let's look at this model on this screen here. If we think about the sun, the sun is the source of light. Most of us here are very well aware of the fact that the moon is only a reflection of light. And so when we think about what is taught in 1 John the 3rd and the 4th chapter, it's very clear. God says, I'm love. God is love. God is the source of love. If you know how to love, it's because you have become a reflection of God. And so we are the moon. Well, what are we to do? Someone says, I know what we're to do. We're to give our love back to God. Yes, we are. But do you realize... He makes it very clear in the third and fourth chapter that if we cannot love our brother, we cannot love God. If one says that he hates his brother, he cannot say that he loves God. So what do we see here? We see here a cycle where here we are, if you will, as the moon. And God is saying, certainly I want you to love me in return. But realize that to love me in return, you have to reflect my love to those that are about you. The second greatest commandment is an opportunity to reflect God's love. It's not that you and I come up with something that's never been experienced before. It's that we take the characteristics of God's love, and on a daily basis, when we see the opportunity, we simply reflect that. We offer it to a world that is about us. Well, what manner of love is this? Read on with me, if you will. We're going to pick up in the first John, the third chapter, and we're going to read 10, 11, and 12 here. And, and let's see two things, two broad principles, very simple, but very broad principles about, about the love of God. And when we can learn and accept this love of God, we can reflect this to those about us. In so doing, we fulfill the second greatest commandment. Verse 10, we're in first John, the third chapter. As we read verse 10, will you look for the word not? It's unusual. It's three times in this one verse. And this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. In other words, they're shown, they're made known. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Now, we've seen in the Scriptures that, that the world and the children of God, that they're called light and darkness, sheep and goats. And there's many other comparisons to help us understand that there's no middle ground. This is the only time in the Scriptures where it's said this way, and it's a very bold way. He says, I want to talk to you for just a minute about the children of God, and I want to talk to you about the children of the devil. That, for some reason, just strikes me as a little more attention-getting. I want to know, what is it that would separate the children of the devil from the children of God? Now, if you and I were just making our list, we were just sitting in a discussion class, and we had not read this text, and we said, what do you think separates the children of the devil from the children of God? 
probably someone would begin talking about things that individuals would be involved in that was very active toward the worship of God. Uh, I'm sorry, of Satan. Well, maybe it's the worship of Satan. That's to be a child of the devil. Maybe it's to actually offer sacrifice and to cut out hearts of animals or people and offer it to, to Satan as a sacrifice. And we come up with all of these, what we would call far-fetched and crazy ideas of worshiping Satan. Is that what John has in mind? I want to show you the difference of the children of God and the children of the devil. Now notice, he's not going to bring out anything in this particular verse here that is an active wrongdoing. Instead, he says, are they doing righteous things? You mean you could omit righteousness in your life? And that would place us in the category of a child of the devil? John says yes. Oh, uh, John, righteous things like what? Oh, something like loving your brother. John, John, wait, wait, wait. You don't understand who some of my brothers and sisters in Christ are up there at that Mount Juliet congregation. I mean, there's people up there that aren't perfect. There's people up there that have hurt my feelings. There's people up there that I don't know if they're really close to God. Sometimes I think they're hypocrites. Now, if you're visiting with us today, I don't feel this way about this congregation, okay? <laughs> I think this is a wonderful place. Well, you know, we're not perfect. And some of us have bad days and bad seasons of life. And if you're visiting here today, you're not perfect either. John, you sure that I have to love my brother so certain that if you don't, you're a child of Satan. That's bold. A child of Satan simply because I do not love my brother. Let's look at 11 and 12, and he drives this point home. He says in 11 and 12, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning. In other words, from the old Bible through the new Bible. We had to love God with all of our being and we had to love our brother. This is not a New Testament concept. But yet as the New Testament begins, we immediately start hearing about the same thing. Love God with all of your being and love your neighbor as yourself. And so this is something that's just heard all through the time of our human history. And so he says, this is not something that, that's, uh, that you haven't heard before. He says that you should love one another at the end of verse 11. Now notice the example. Out of all the, the examples he could give, he goes back to the very beginning of the Old Testament. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one. You see, now we're still back to whether or not we're a child of Satan or a child of God. He was one of the wicked ones and murdered his brother. Now here's a good question. Why did he murder him? And he answers, because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Here we see the example of Cain. How did he do what he did? Because he didn't love his brother. Is it that simple? There's a lot of other details, but the root of the matter is he didn't love his brother. What are we learning from this? Of just a two-point two sermon this morning, think about point number one. When you and I love each other, we do not bring harm into the other person's life. 
We refuse to bring harm into the other person's life. We refuse to backbite. We refuse to gossip. We refuse to steal any of the things that would bring harm. Let's go to Romans, the 13th chapter, and let's see this powerfully taught in the Scriptures. In Romans, the 13th chapter, we're going to begin reading at verse 8. Romans, the 13th chapter, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. Here is our phrase again. We owe this, to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments... You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now notice this sentence. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Here we are reading back in 1 John, the third chapter, and the Lord says, I want to show you the manner of love that I have for you because I want you to be able to share this manner of love to others. One of the things is that God says, I've never done anything to harm anyone because that's not love. Now, what are we to reflect to others? We should not ever do anything to harm another person. Like what? And he begins a list of things here that are very much a part of even the society we live in. But notice, these things are never committed because individuals love. When a man and a woman have their spouses and their children at home and they're off somewhere whispering in each other's ear how much they love them, it's a lie. Adultery does not take place out of love. Adultery takes place out of lust and out of hate because love, which is agape, which is that decision, it is that commitment to do what is right and best in a relationship toward another person, no one would want to injure the soul of another person because they love them. No one would want to hurt a family because they loved them. And so it's no wonder here that the Lord gives a list of things through the Apostle Paul and he says, I want to show you what we don't do when we fulfill the second greatest command. That's right, there are things we don't do to fulfill the second greatest command. Adultery is one of those things. He also mentions stealing. Many of us here have probably had something stolen from us. And we know the pain that is involved when, when we've been injured by the loss of property or even something that cannot be replaced because of a sentimental value. Those things do not happen because someone says, I want to be a good neighbor. I want to look out for you. I, I, I want to serve you, so I'm going to steal from you. To bear false witness, all of us have either seen or can imagine a courtroom. And imagine when someone sits on that chair under oath and they lie. They do not lie because they love their fellow man. They lie because they don't love. They do not want what is best for another. And friends, we could just go down the list, and finally Paul says, I can't go down all the list, but just know this, it can all be summed up in this commandment, to love thy neighbor as thyself. Why? Because love does no harm toward another. Let's go back to our text in 1 John, the third chapter, and notice verse 13, 14, and 15, he says, 
Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Again, you see how bold he is making the distinction between Christians and those that are not Christians. In other words, those that are children of God, and here he calls it life and death. Those that are having eternal life and those that are not having eternal life. What's the difference? It's whether or not we love our brethren. The the rest of verse 14. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Now notice 15. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Again, no doubt a teaching, but also a reference to that example that he just gave of Cain back in Genesis, the fourth chapter. So as we, as we sum up this about we don't do harm to another, I need to be reminded of Cain's words in Genesis, the fourth chapter. You remember when he made his offering, and his offering was not acceptable to God. So by faith, he was already suffering in his relationship with God. Now notice, when our life is right with God, it will be right with other people. When our relationship is not right with God, it most often will not be right with other people. You know why? Because we are a reflection of God's love. If my life isn't right with God, I'm not accepting His love. I cannot reflect something that I am not accepting. And if I refuse to reflect God's love, I am turned and really not accepting God's love as it's been designed because it's been designed for us to receive it, to reflect it. And so here is why the teaching is so important that we realize if we're going to be right with God, we have to have a love and a concern for those about us. You remember Cain's response? Let's look back to Genesis, the fourth chapter, verse 9 and 10 here. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. I am I my brother's keeper? That's the question. Do you and I really have responsibility to others? As Steve Cummings so very capably reminded us in, in Bible class this morning, and again, we'll do so from 9 till noon Saturday, about what we can do to help someone that is falling away or is very discouraged. Someone says, so? Is it my responsibility? You know who asked that question? Let's be blunt for a minute. Who was the first one that we know of that asked that question? One that had just murdered his brother. Do I want to line myself in the category of someone who has just murdered his brother? No wonder he asked the question, am I my brother's keeper? He was guilt-ridden, and he was guilty to the end of this particular event. He took his life. And on the other hand, we have a church full of people. We have individuals that are struggling. Who's going to go out and encourage them? If someone has that same attitude... Am I my brother's keeper? No, they're not going to go out. But if we realize that we are our brother's keeper, with this in mind, let's look at the rest of this text. We're going to look at verse 16, 17, and 18 here of 1 John, the third chapter. 1 John, the third chapter. By this. Now, if you want to note, we're going to look at 1 John, the third chapter, verse 16. Then we're going to skip over to the fourth chapter and link together a passage that is almost uh, very similar in its teaching. And notice the word this in here. By this, we know. By what? 
Well, whatever he's about to talk about, this is how we're going to know love, okay? By this we know love, okay? How do we know love? Because he laid down his life for us. For we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We know God loved us because he sacrificed his only son for us. He proved his love. Sacrifice. Laying down his life, Jesus gave it. Now, how do we prove that we love the brethren? Tall order. We're willing to lay down our life for the brethren. Right now, if someone's life was at jeopardy, that's a brother or sisters in Christ you, would you step in their place and let them live? Jesus laid down his life for the brethren and then clearly teaches we ought to be willing to lay down our life for each other also. We're not talking about just doing something we're talking about a life of sacrifice. Let's go over to the fourth chapter. In the fourth chapter, we begin reading verse 9 with this word again, this. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. It was shown. It was made known. How was this? That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. The only way we can have eternal life is through Jesus Christ. Jesus did what we must have had done for us in order to have eternal life. We must see the benevolent nature of Christ's love. Around us daily are individuals that need something. If we're going to reflect God's love, we're going to help fulfill their needs. We must have about us a benevolent nature that we want to fulfill other people's needs also. Verse 10, notice this again. The word this. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Who initiated this? God did. Romans 5 will teach us, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God initiated this. Now what are we to do? We need to initiate love. That's why Christians will help strangers. Have you ever thought about that? That's why Christians help strangers. Christians initiate love. That's why a true friend will help you before you ask for help. Because Christians initiate love. That's why Christians go with open eyes instead of blinders, saying to themselves, oh, I, I hope they don't ask me for that. I know they have kind of some hard times in their family, and oh, I hope they don't come asking me for help. To love our brethren is to love first. It's to initiate. But notice verse 11 again. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It is reflective. As we wrap this lesson up, I'd like for you to read with me now back to where we were reading in 1 John, the third chapter. We just read verse 16. Now let's read 17 and 18. He gives us some details here, the proactivity of our love, how gracious it ought to be. But whoever has this world's goods, and he sees his brother in need... Now notice what he shuts up. To me, this is so powerful. To me, this hits home. He doesn't just shut up his wallet. He doesn't just guard his, his palm pilot so he can keep his schedule to himself. He doesn't just guard his relationships because I don't want to get involved in relationships that have baggage. What does he do here? He sees his brother in need and he shuts up his heart. That's where it all starts. You show me a Christian that has a closed pocketbook, that has a closed schedule, that never has money or time or heart for anyone else, and you'll see someone that has that closed heart. 
It all gets back to the heart. From him, how does the love of God abide in him? He can't because the heart is closed. And then he says, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. The Lord's not against loving words. Gracious words are taught in Colossians, the fourth chapter, that we should do that and season our speech with salt. But gracious words can never take the place of actions. I don't know if you're one of those people that you really challenge yourself to do something out of the way once a day for another person. I hope you are. To me, that is a great blessing in life, to challenge yourself, to hold yourself accountable. But please note this. Doing one deed that day for another person does not excuse us from all the other opportunities to express God's love. Fulfilling the second greatest command is not just one action within itself. It is a reflection of the love of God. This same author, you remember he wrote a gospel. It too is called John. And he records the words of Jesus. And to me it's so interesting that we have just studied about what he elaborated upon in the first epistle of John. But as Jesus was on his way to the cross that night, and as he had just washed feet, Jesus said to them in John 13, a new commandment that I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you have loved one for another. Now let's see if there's reflection in this, okay? That's what's received. And by this may all men know that ye are my disciples if you have love one for another. Look how much I've loved you, Jesus is saying. I just washed your feet and nobody else sitting around this table would humble themselves enough to wash my feet, but I just washed your feet. And you just wait in a few hours and see what happens the next day. I'm going to spread my arms and I'm going to die on a cross for you because I so love the world and my Father so loved the world. He says, now if you will receive that love and just reflect it back, people are going to say, that's children of God. Now we're back to where we started this morning. 1 John, the third chapter and verse 1. That's children of God. This morning... As you think about all the opportunities to serve God in the ministries of this congregation, and I beg every deacon, because you as a leader, you have so much impact upon your ministry, please don't ever see your ministry as just something to do. Let's make sure that we see it all through a reflection of God's will. That's why today you'll hear six different deacons, three on the audio, visual, and three tonight. And all six of them will tell you what the Scripture says and how they're striving to lead a ministry that will fulfill that. What has God said to us and what are we doing to reflect that to the world? This morning, are you a Christian? Have you received the love of God in your life? If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and 
and you're willing to repent of sins and confess before men, won't you be baptized into Christ for the remission of those sins? Come up out of that watery grave of baptism alive, new, a light to the world, shining to others the love of God. If you evaluate your life this morning and, and something's missing, people around you do not know God better because of your love. Let's not stay in that darkness. Instead, let's reflect the love of God. If you need to repent and confess sins, there's not anyone here perfect. But I can assure you, this is a congregation that reflects God's love. If you walk down the aisle this morning, you'll be loved, you'll be supported spiritually, you'll be encouraged. Not because we're good people by our own righteousness, but because we've read about a father who had open arms and he longed for his children to come home. And we simply want to reflect that. If we can help you come as we stand, as we sing.